1: By. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Airbus of America Second Quarter 2021 Investor Conference Call. I would now like to turn the conference over to Gren Schock, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead.
2: Thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone. And thank you for joining us for the Airbus Q2 21 results conference call. My name is Gren Schock. I'm the Chairman and CEO of Airbus. With me today are Chris Bitsukakis, our president and COO, Frank Ndili, our CFO, and Chris Figuel, our executive VP and general counsel. In terms of an agenda, we'll take a few minutes to review some operational highlights for the quarter, and then briefly review our financial results before opening the call to questions. Before we we begin, I'd like to remind you that today's remarks include non-IFRS measures, Reconciliations between our IFRS and non-IFRS results can be found in our MD&A. Additionally, management's outlook for 21 and beyond, anticipated financial and operating results, our plans and objectives, and our answers to your questions will contain forward-looking information within the meaning of the applicable securities laws. In particular, expectations around (laughs) the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic our business acquisitions, results of operations, and financial condition, and that of our customers and partners are uncertain and subject to change. This forward-looking information represents our expectations as of today and accordingly is subject to change. Such information is based on current assumptions that may not materialize and is subject to a number of important risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially and listeners are cautioned not to place undue reliance on the forward-looking information. A description of the risk that <clears throat> may affect future results is contained in Airbus's AIF and MD&A, which is available on our corporate website and in our filings with the Canadian Securities Administrators on the CDAR uh, at www.sedar.com. With that, I'm gonna turn it over to Chris Bitsikakis, our president, to uh, give you a a review.
3: Thank you, Grandin, good morning, everyone. I'm happy to report another record quarter of profitability in Q2 2021 and positive momentum as we enter the second half of 2021. The company continues to perform well, supporting our strategy of innovation and diversification, driving continued growth and profitability. Notably, we continued To effectively manage our operations through the second quarter despite many customers including automakers tire makers and related suppliers struggling with supply chain issues including freight delays out of Asia driven by the lack of available containers increased demands on raw materials as global economies recover unprecedented increases on raw material pricing driven by supply constraints and availability and electronic chip shortages our record profitability was driven primarily by an increase in sales continued operational cost containment and our prescient acquisition in late October of the 45% ownership of Airbus Defence Group that we did not already own for $20 million in cash and 3.5 million shares of Airbus at $17.87 Canadian per share. During the quarter, we also announced an increase to our dividend to $0.10 Canadian per quarter, a 43% increase from the prior dividend. This decision reflects the step change in our scale, capabilities, sales opportunities, and of course profits stemming from the realization of the strategy we have been driving for the last several years, which culminated in a record 2019, a record 2020, and another prolific year this year. As it relates to operations, in Q2 we saw significant year-over-year increases in sales in our rubber solutions and engineered product segments, which were significantly impacted by COVID in the second quarter of 2020, as customer volumes improved, though they continue to be impacted by ongoing global supply chain issues. During Q2, Airbus Defence Group successfully completed its contract to deliver powered air purifying respirators, or PAPRs, and related peripherals to the U.S. Department for Health and Human Services, or HHS, in April. While we have provided our products to the healthcare sector in the past, the completion of these PAPR contracts, which are critical to national healthcare, has widened the aperture of opportunity for ADG to include the healthcare sector on a much larger scale. Our ability to deliver on these PAPR contracts to FEMA and HHS on time and on budget and the sheer scale of our domestic production capacity has resulted in us becoming a trusted supplier to HHS, which is responsible for maintaining the national strategic stockpile of PPE. At the end of the first quarter, we received an award from HHS worth up to $288 million US for the supply of patient examination nitrile rubber gloves. Near the end of Q2, we commenced initial deliveries of these gloves to HHS. The continued penetration into the healthcare sector has contributed to the ongoing customer sector diversification of our business, which has been a key strategy of ours to mitigate the impact of any economic or industry specific cycles. As it relates to ADG, the segment continues to execute on its growth strategy, including expanding its proprietary products. ADG completed the acquisition of black box biometrics developer of the blast gauge system of lightweight wearable blast overpressure sensors, which we anticipate will be a future growth opportunity for this segment. This acquisition enabled us to protect B3's technology from competing interests, and we anticipate that it will help us improve our margin profile and cross-sell B3's products to other militaries. B3's technology and products also have applications to healthcare markets as its sensor systems monitor, record and analyze blast and impact events to protect not only warfighters but also first responders and athletes from traumatic brain injuries. As I noted, ADG has commenced initial deliveries of Nitrile patient examination gloves to HHS. We expect the vast majority of this contract to be recorded as sales in the third and fourth quarter. Leveraging our decades of global supply chain management expertise and relationships, we believe we have established a competitive advantage through the following. Our expertise in rubber products, our exclusive relationships we have entered into with the global nitrile rubber glove suppliers, and our trusted domestic supplier status with the US, as well as other governments. We believe these factors to position us well to win further nitrile glove contracts in the future. The strong demand for these gloves is anticipated to continue with an estimated global shortage of 215 billion nitrile gloves and a forecasted tripling of healthcare spend on PPE by 2027 according to the Health Industry Distributors Association. Further glove contracts are just one portion of the more than one billion in contract opportunities over the next 24 months that we are competing on, including other new large government healthcare PPE contracts, as well as domestic and international contracts for supply of CBRN wearables and potential orders for new Husky 2G vehicles and related vehicle sensors and equipment. We remain confident we will win a portion of these. As I noted previously, this pipeline excludes the potential competition for the supply of gas masks to the U.S. military, which we are hopeful to compete for and win, as our industry-leading low-burden mask did in recent years in Canada and Australia. Such a contract could be worth upwards of a billion dollars of sales over an extended time frame, potentially beginning in 2024. It also excludes large-scale rollout of our blast gauges, which are currently in field testing with the U.S. Army and in competition for the US Special Operations Command. The magnitude and continued increase in sales opportunities compared to previous years gives us significant optimism for continued growth at ADG in the coming years. Our longer term priorities include capitalizing on ADG's enhanced scale and capabilities to pursue an array of growth and value creation opportunities in the broader survivability solutions segment serving both defense and first responder markets. While in the short to mid-term, ADG is anticipated to continue to be our primary driver of profits, we are also expecting improvements in our rubber solutions and engineered product segments, though there is still potential for COVID-19 related weakness, including ongoing supply chain challenges in the second half of this year on these segments. At Airbus Rubber Solutions, we are seeing the benefits of the sizable capital investments of approximately $16 million that we made in Airbus Rubber Solutions over the past 30 months, notably in upgraded equipment and growth initiatives, including increasing our compounding capacity in the southeastern United States and adding dedicated color and specialty compounding lines at our flagship facility in Kitchener, Ontario. ARS continues to focus on optimizing its equipment capacity, specifically in the Scotland Neck, North Carolina plant, while continuing to optimize the use of automated small ingredient weighment system in Kitchener, which is running at steady capacity. This segment recorded strong year-over-year increases in volumes, as well as progressive traction this quarter. However, continued significant raw material price increases, coupled with international freight constraints, proved challenging on the supply chain, which carried over from the previous quarter. This was further challenged by labor shortages, primarily driven by the pandemic, which are anticipated to continue into the third quarter. ARS's development and sales in niche products, including colored rubber, continues to grow in line with our margin expansion strategy with new customers. Additionally, ARS has continued to develop new compounds, proprietary compounds, and continuously improve existing compounds to maintain its leadership position as a supplier of custom rubber compounds and formulations. We are also taking advantage of our scale and global supply chain management expertise to onboard new customers seeking new suppliers in the current environment to drive volume and growth in our core markets. The continued focus on operational excellence supported production of a broader array of compounded products, black, white, and color, as well as providing enhanced flexibility in attracting and fulfilling new business. We have made further inroads in utilization of our small volume specialty mixer, which should support the production of increasingly specialized higher margin compounds, further diversifying our offering and enhancing penetration with both existing and new customers. In Kitchener, we have continued to invest in its R&D expertise and lab capital to support enhanced collaboration with customers and better reflect the company's focus on innovative R&D and proprietary technical solutions. Our longer term priority for ARS remains to grow the segment by positioning it as a specialty supplier of choice in the consolidated North American market, with a growing focus on building defensible leadership positions in selected compounds. In engineered products, we have continued to focus on our operational improvement plan, including managing variable costs and focusing on sustaining a stable workforce while weathering the volume volatility in the automotive sector, and specifically on our products for SUV, light truck, and minivan platforms. During the second quarter, AEP continued its focus and commitment to drive efficiencies and best-in-class automation, as evidenced by the installation of a series of new injection molding presses the latest in almost 14 million in capital investments we have made over the past 30 months, notably in growth and cost-saving initiatives to upgrade the segment's capital equipment to the latest standards with the aim of leveraging automation for high volume, low margin commoditized parts, and enabling us to increase production of more technically sophisticated parts which can generate higher margins. A second robotic work cell, in addition to the one that we put into production in Q3 of last year, is scheduled for installation later in 2021 and intended to be ready for production in early 2022. AEP generated significant year-over-year growth over Q2 2020 when COVID resulted in a temporary shutdown, but saw a sequential decline in sales as global supply chain challenges and shutdowns in Asia added to logistical challenges associated with the supply of certain molded products. Despite these near-term challenges, our longer-term priority remains to drive improved performance from AEP, through a combination of disciplined cost containment, client relationship expansion, new product development, sector diversification, and a more aggressive stance on the renegotiation of low-margin contracts. Our continued our continuing record results have placed us in a strong financial position and have given us the ability to be aggressive with opportunities that present themselves. While we have a clear strategy to grow or, to grow organically, historically we have also undertaken strategic M&A in order to acquire important parts of our supply chain, diversify our products and customer base, and penetrate new sectors. We continue to seek ways to leverage our balance sheet strength and accelerate our growth strategy through M&A, as evidenced by our recent merger with CSI and acquisition of B3. At ADG, we are examining upstream and downstream M&A opportunities. This includes acquiring control of components used in our existing products or onshoring certain aspects of our supply chain. We are also looking at potential complementary products for our medical, healthcare and chem bio products and our defense and survivability systems. Within our Airbus rubber solutions, we are reviewing potential M&A opportunities that will accelerate this segment's growth strategy, including reinforcing the investments we've already made in expanding from traditional black, high-volume product lines into lower volume but typically higher margin, color, and specialty markets as well as expanding into select regions in the US to broaden our reach. Within Airbus Engineered Products, our M&A focus is on opportunities to expand our access to and product set for non-automotive sectors. As it relates to our outlook, our growth is not dependent on M&A. It is difficult to predict the continued normalization of the economy in the near term due to the impact of COVID-19 and global supply chain issues. But as I've stated previously, the outlook remains healthy over the medium term, with industry estimates for approximately 4% top-line growth over the next five years. We have obviously outperformed the industry over the past number of years, and our aim remains to continue expanding our market share while increasing our margins through a combination of product mix and operational efficiencies, complemented with strategic and disciplined M&A. Our focus remains to cultivate strong internal processes that lead to organic growth in excess of market growth while assessing both tuck-in and transformational acquisitions as we look to leverage our strong balance sheet to accelerate our strategic growth targets. With that, I will now pass the call over to Frank Yantilli for the financial review. Frank?
4: Thank you, Chris, and good morning, everyone. As a reminder, please note all dollar amounts presented are in U.S. dollars except for dividends per share, which are in Canadian dollars. Percentage growth figures are for Q2 2021 versus Q2 2020 unless otherwise noted. Starting from the top, external sales increased 5% to 118 million on a consolidated basis, largely due to strong growth in volumes at our rubber solutions and engineered product segments and continued execution at ADG, including on HHS contracts. Consolidated gross profit increased 6% with margins steady at approximately 28% driven by the increase in sales and government assistance. Adjusted EBITDA decreased slightly by 2% to $25 million with the increase in gross profit offset by higher administrative costs and smaller foreign exchange gain. The large sequential gain compared to Q1 2021 relates to growth in sales profit partially driven by initial commencement on the HHS glove contract and increased government assistance. Profit and adjusted profit attributable to the owners of the company. Was just under 18.5 million or 65 cents per diluted share, a record for Airbus, compared to 6.7 million or 27 cents per diluted share in Q2 of 2020. Turning to our individual segments, ADG's net sales decreased 31% to 57 million, with a decline due to the execution on the FEMA contract in Q2 of 2020, which was partially offset by the completion in Q2 of 21 of deliverables under the HHS PAPR contract, in addition to the commencement of deliveries under the new HHS Nitrile Glove Order. Gross profit at Airbus Defence Group decreased by 11% to 25 million, with a decrease driven by the change in sales previously noted. Net sales at Airbus Rubber Solutions increased 79% as Q2 2020 was a low point for the industry due to the initial impact of COVID-19. The sales increase was driven by large increases in tolling and mixing volumes, with increases across the vast majority of sectors due to increased momentum at most customers' operations, despite continuing supply chain challenges related to raw material supply and elevated freight costs. Gross profit at ARS increased by 40% driven by the increase in volumes in sales and managing controllable overhead costs partially offset by lower gross margin of approximately 13% of net sales compared to just under 17% in Q2 of 2020 due to increased raw materials, labor and logistics costs, and a decrease in government-directed subsidies. Net sales in engineered product segment more than doubled to $28 million due to much stronger volumes in the SUV, light trike, and minivan platforms. As Q2 2020 had closures of most of the original equipment manufacturers and Tier 1 customers in the industry. However, AEP experienced softness towards the end of the quarter, specifically surrounding the global electronic chip shortages, which continue to challenge production schedules across all OEMs and Tier 1 suppliers, combined with raw material shortages and freight and logistics bottlenecks. Gross profit at AEP increased by 3.4 million to 2.7 million. This was primarily a result of higher volumes in the automotive sector, a continued focus on controllable operational cost containment and government directed subsidies, partially offset by higher labor, material and logistics costs. Free cash flow for the quarter was an outflow of approximately 9.7 million with increased profits offset by cash use for working capital of 17.6 million and tax payments of 7.4 million. The working capital outflow was used for shipping costs to deliver nitro gloves for HHS and inventory, primarily for material at the rubber solution segment in relation to higher volume and at the engineered product segment for safety stock due to anticipated shipping delays. CapEx was 3 million in Q2, split relatively equally in the quarter between growth initiatives, cost savings and replacement of upgrading equipment. CapEx has been approximately 17.5 million over the trailing 12 months. During the quarter, 7 million in cash was used for the B3 acquisition and a further 5 million related to the 2020 acquisition of the minority interest in ADG with the final 5 million payment made this past July. Our balance sheet and liquidity is in a strong position to support further M&A and other internal growth investments as well as the announced dividend increase. During the quarter, we announced that we had increased our revolving credit facility from 60 million to 150 million to fund upfront costs under the contract to provide nitrile patient examination gloves to HHS. As at the end of the quarter, we had a net debt of $12.9 million for a net leverage ratio of 0.12 times EBITDA. We are reaffirming our guidance ranges for 2021 as provided in our March 16, 2021 news release and reiterated on May 12. Our current guidance for 2021 excludes potential upside opportunities such as any other significant contract wins or material M&A. Operator, that concludes our prepared remarks this morning.
1: We would now like to open the
4: call to questions.
1: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two.
0: Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
1: The first question is from Kevin Chang from CIBC. Please go ahead.
5: Good, good morning, everybody. Th- thanks for taking my questions, and uh, congrats on a, on a solid Q2 there. Um, maybe just turning to uh, engineered products, just given what's happening in the in the auto supply chain, I'd be interested in, in hearing what you what you're seeing as as you enter into, I guess, Q three, and, and maybe what your thoughts are on, on overall production in North America, uh, in, in the back half of the year, and, and and given the strong gross margin print in the second quarter, you know, is that something you think you can hold on to? You know, even as you kind of work through this this very fluid production situation, uh, in North America. Uh-
3: Yes, Kevin, be happy to answer that. Um, what we are seeing and hearing right now, uh, particularly the big elephant in the room is this chip shortage thing that seems to be having a domino effect uh, combined with uh, you know, shipments out of Asia that there are many constraints, both uh, cost-wise and uh, availability of capacity for shipping uh, overseas. And we see a fairly significant uh, constriction of the supply chain continuing on into the end of this year. Uh, having said that, the chip suppliers are telling us that um, by the middle of the the, or the end of the uh, third quarter into the beginning of the fourth quarter, they should be seeing some relief in terms of their ability to supply. However, most forecasting services are assuming that's going to be closer to uh, early 2022. So we expect these uh, these shortages to continue. Uh, we expect the supply chain to continue to be constrained throughout the balance of this year. And, uh, and we expect raw material costs to continue to be uh, escalating as, uh, as the global economy starts to pick up. Now, of course, if there is any more uh, additional slowdowns from a fourth wave of, uh, of COVID-19, we may see some sort of pause in that economic recovery. Uh, but at this point in time, there's, there's uh, plenty of headwinds to go around in that automotive space. However, most, uh, most people are forecasting those to be concluding sometime in Q4 of this year or Q1 of next year. That's helpful, and
5: and I know you 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 know part of the improving profitability within AEP, you know is is uh, you know maybe for lack of a of a better uh, better word, kind of re- repricing lower quality contracts or maybe maybe lower quality revenue. Do you find that's been easier given the supply chain disruptions and that and that you know your OEM customers that that might not be that might be underpriced are, are looking to secure. Uh, product from suppliers that can deliver such as yourselves or 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 has that initiative been pushed out as as uh, you know maybe your the, the the that OEM may be focused on the chip shortage and 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 you know repricing other contracts isn't a priority for them
3: Yeah that's an excellent question uh, you know from our perspective uh, it's kind of a tale of two worlds you know uh, approximately 75% of our customer base out of Airbus-engineered products has been uh, working with us. Very helpful, uh, understands sort of the long-term picture on that on the supply chain issues, and are working with us to address it. I mean, just to give you an example, we've had to deal with 17 force majeures uh, this year. Uh, prior to that, the most we've ever had in a year is three. So it's been quite a uh, intense, uh, you know, time period for us and uh, thankfully the the strength of our supply chain leadership uh, and the the breadth uh, of our global reach within Airbus uh, of America, we've been able to mitigate a lot of that. And uh, in 75% of the cases, our customers have worked very closely with us uh, on on those issues. Um, 25% of our customers, or at least 25% of our contracts have been much more difficult in that, uh, you know, the customers have, Shown very little interest, only because they're getting so bombarded by so many people at the same time. It's kind of hard to get on the top of their list uh, to get in front of them and have some sort of cooperative uh, discussion around around uh, fixing the contractual issues, the 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 the, late, the supply shortages, and those kinds of things. So, um, I, I'd say we're we're doing better than most companies in this area, but we continue to have uh, some concerns as we as we go into the latter half of this year, at least with a small number of our contracts, which we still need to get uh, raw material price relief, which we don't have yet, um, and some sort of concessions on uh, supply chain disruptions that that uh, they need to work with us on. So we continue to push it, and like I said, we're so far 75% successful, which is probably much better than most of our competitors, but we still have some work to do.
5: That's not, that's great, caller. I mean, the last one for me, and I, and I appreciate it's still early days here, but you know, as we look past. 2021 into 2022, uh, you know, you, you do lay out, uh, you know, a very robust pipeline of growth opportunities in in your in your um, MDN and in your release. I'd be interested in knowing, like, when you look at the the run rate EBITDA you've accomplished in in 2020 and what you're guiding to in 2021, you know, if you are to hold that run rate, how much of that is is already let's say secure when you look out into 2022 versus maybe contracts you need to go out and win in order to to maintain the level of earnings power you've seen over the past couple of years here?
3: Yeah, well, when you look at 2019, which was a record year for us, our pipeline was uh, significantly smaller compared to where we're at today. Going into 2020, our our pipeline was significantly smaller than what it is today. And so going into 22, we're, we're sitting on, the, on the, the largest pipeline of uh, blue chip opportunities that we've ever had. So although we can't uh, announce wins right now, uh, if you consider that a percentage of those wins will happen, uh, we feel pretty good that uh, the momentum that we've had in our organic growth uh, going into from 18 to 19, 19 to 20, 20 to 21, um, we are in a better position now for 22 than we were for 20 and 21, or 19 especially. So we feel pretty confident um, that we're gonna be able to continue this growth. And we're also pretty confident that given the strength of our balance sheet, we should be able to make some interesting uh, and, and, and formidable acquisitions going forward, which we haven't really done in the past. And you know, when you consider the fact that uh, even with all that growth and all the products that we're quoting on right now, we still haven't sold uh, significant uh, numbers on blast gauge but those contracts are are, are coming up in in 2022 potentially uh, you know and we have uh, new products coming through the pipeline we have a new uh, a new mask that we're developing that's uh, in for uh, NIOSH approval right now that we think is going to be a really uh, big seller going into 2022 that we've never sold before We have uh, you know a lot of the husky sales that we've uh, kind of, uh, Forgone the past two years while we were growing everywhere else, uh, those contracts are starting to come up and be negotiated now. So, yeah, we feel pretty confident for 2022. We can't uh, guide you to what that top line is going to be right now, but we can tell you that our pipeline of opportunities is stronger than it was going into either 21 or 20.
5: That, that's great, colour. Thank you very much and congrats on a good quarter there.
1: The next question is from Maggie McDougall from Stiefel. Please go ahead. Maggie McDougall, your line is open. Go to the next question. The next question is from Tim James from TD Securities. Please go ahead.
6: Thanks, and good morning, congratulations on a a good quarter. my first question just, um, Chris, on the, the, you, you cited over a billion dollars in opportunities over the next 24 months. Um, I'm wondering, one, if you could give us a bit of a sense for, you know, what's the average and very approximately contract value within that basket of opportunities? And is there any way you can provide a bit of a sense for the um, the expected timing um, including over what period they generate uh, revenue or m- maybe the last part of my question, is that $1 billion for revenue over the next 24 months or is that $1 billion in contracts that you could secure over the next 24 months?
3: It's it's $1 billion in contracts that we could secure over the next uh, 24 months. Generally speaking though, the turnaround time from being uh, awarded these contracts that we're looking at right now to when we start deliveries is not years. It's not like the automotive industry where you know you get awarded a contract four years before the the, the car gets built. In this particular case, we are normally uh, within the same calendar year or the same twelve months getting award and starting deliveries. And in terms of your question on on the range, it's hard to give you an, an average on that because there's you know there's contracts that are as small as ten and fifteen million dollars. There's contracts as, as, as in the hundreds of millions as well. So it's kind of a, a range of opportunities, and as we've mentioned earlier, that does not include Blast Gauge, which, you know, we think uh, we're we're in a, a program of record competition right now that we should hear about by the end of Q4. So uh, we're pretty optimistic that uh, as these contracts get awarded, uh, the revenue will be uh, realized within the you know the 12 months of the award
6: and and so just to go a little further there should like do you expect some of these contracts to come to fruition this year and again i realize the, the, the nature the timing and engaging it's very difficult um but but should some of these come to fruition and be confirmed this year or could these all be contracts that are actually uh finalized in 2022
3: yeah, I think there's the potential for some revenue uh, still this year on some of those contracts. Um, I think a lot of, as we get, you know, closer to the end of Q3, of course, uh, the probability then shifts into more into 2022, but we are still tracking some potential awards this year that would start some revenue generation this year. But I'd like, as I said, as we get into September, October, that mostly shifts into 2022.
6: Okay, thank you. Um the um just wonder maybe you could talk about the, the question for Frank, I suppose the working capital requirements. Thank you for the detail and sort of what what's transpired here in the second quarter. By the time we get to the end of the year, can you give us a sense for whether working capital will still be a, a net drag on the business or should most of the, the impact that we're seeing reverse itself and, and, and and maybe a bit of color on Q3 specifically on that front would be helpful.
4: Yeah, Tim, it's Frank here. Uh, A great question. And, um, you know, just as we'd mentioned previously, given uh, primarily working capital tied up uh, to support, obviously, inventory for some of the challenges mentioned, uh, as well as the delivery of the HHS nitrile glove order, uh, we see a continued drag on the cash flow for Q3, but we do anticipate by the end of Q4 being back to uh, slightly above uh, Q4 2020 cash levels uh, as we complete the order and obviously continue to convert uh, some other (coughs) contracts that are in delivery now. But we do anticipate uh, a further drag in Q3 as was always planned and was also tied to the bulge in order to help support and fund the uh, HHS uh, Nitrile Glove order.
6: Okay so thanks Frank. So you mentioned back to or or hopefully back to cash levels equivalent to q 420 20. For the year do you expect working capital still to be a net drag or a net user of cash or or could it actually generate cash working capital? Uh,
4: I think, I think it might uh, generate uh, marginal uh, cash uh, at the the full year uh, but it would be okay. close. Okay. Okay. That's that's helpful.
6: Um, my last question, uh, Chris, just, just turning to uh, to engineered products, could you give us a bit of an update on the cost structure of, of that business now relative to competitors in the market? And I'm thinking in particular because there's been some new investment and efficiencies going in there. Uh, and, and maybe with a reference to both prior to, Um, adding the new presses and then sort of post the addition once you get everything in place that you are uh, you are planning.
3: Yeah I think with the with the uh, with the targeted um, size and uh, focus of the investments that we've made in this facility um, I think we are going to be uh, world-class leading edge technologically in uh, rubber to metal bonded NVH products um, and I think by, so I think that investment plan ends around uh, October of this year, as we start installing that, that second uh, fully robotic automated work cell. So we've accomplished our task of bringing the technology level to the highest world standards uh, with the most efficient uh, labor utilization and the, the highest level of automation and throughput. And so we're pretty proud of where we're at technologically there. Of course, um, many of those improvements uh, are just being installed right now. Uh, and so we're, we expect the second half of the year to be an improvement operationally over the first half of the year because of this turnover of the asset base. However, given the climate of uh, significant labor shortages, raw material increases, uh, some difficult contracts that we're trying to renegotiate, it's hard to see that exactly on the bottom line. Uh, but as we take care of those other issues and things start to stabilize um, I think the rest of the world will see what we as management are seeing now which is a highly efficient operation that is poised really well to compete not only in and compete and be more selective on the automotive growth that we have and compete on the non-automotive side uh, in a very very uh, strong way compared to our competitors so we're we're fairly optimistic that way and we as we remind everyone we continue to consume uh, rubber in that division where that profitability doesn't show up at Airbus Engineered Products, it resides within uh, Airbus rubber solutions. So as we look at that integrated supply chain and uh, and the backward integrated uh, supply, uh, we're pretty confident going forward that our strategy is gonna play out correctly. Of course, there'll be a bunch of noise right now with everything that's going on with COVID-19 through labor and raw materials and shipping and. Enforce majeures and all that kind of stuff that clouds it a little bit. But uh, the mid to long term, I'd say we're uh, pretty optimistic right now that we're on the right track. Great. Thank you very much, Chris.
1: As a reminder, it is star one to ask a question. The next question is from Ben Jekic of PI Financial. Please go ahead. Uh,
7: good morning. Uh, great number, of guys. Uh, just, I would say, Two questions, number one is on the government assistance. Can you just give an update on how how long would that last? What are the amounts and, and impact
4: yeah ben uh it's uh, frank here uh, for q two uh the Canadian subsidies uh, amounted to uh nine hundred and ninety five thousand uh relative to q one uh, which was actually just over two million. Um, we don't anticipate um, an effect of, uh, from sort of July going forward to really uh, be receiving much at all and, and there's also a claw back there so we wouldn't be recognizing any uh, relative to the latest changes. So we, we anticipate that going uh, down and, and not being uh, really affecting the financials uh, from Q3 moving forward.
7: Okay, perfect. And this- second question and maybe I'll I'll ask both of them at the same time so just uh, maybe Chris can answer the 1 billion uh, in contracts over 24 months is that mostly uh, Airbus defense um and I guess sort of the the extended question is just maybe on a higher level when you when you deal with customers in uh, rubber solutions and engineering products is there a bit of a halo effect coming, like, you know, given that Airbus is a, as a whole is uh, generating such momentum, like, are you feeling that there is a bit more, you know, added re- re- receptivity in these two other uh, segments?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're certainly getting uh, a lot of attention as a company um, in, in, in the rubber and plastics industry, even if you read the R&P news and that sort of thing. Uh, some of the excellent work that ADG has done uh, to help in the fight against COVID-19 has given our company, I'd say, some some goodwill uh, and has opened some doors for us. And uh, people recognize our name more. And so I think, from that perspective, some of the work that we've been doing on the on the uh, on the PPE side has helped the other segments as well. Um, in terms of the pipeline itself, uh, you know, ARS, as an example, has to this day Uh, a pipeline of new opportunities that's significantly larger than what it was the past how many years put together. So, um, However, the ability of ADG to kind of pull in these uh, these big contracts, uh, that's not exactly the way it works at at ARS or or AEP for that matter. Um, ARS and AEP are more like a series of singles and doubles and triples where ADG has those singles, doubles and triples. But then hits a big home run once in a while and uh, and pulls in some pretty big revenue. those large scale contracts you won't see them at, uh, at ARS like you won't see ARS uh, announcing a two hundred eighty eight million dollar uh, contract. Um, it's more building up the business and, and driving uh, and taking market share uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, but so, so certainly a big portion of our pipeline is uh, is ADG, but the other two divisions are participating uh, and when you compare where they're at compared to where they were at before, they are also having uh, an excellent uh, forward-looking opportunities uh, for them significantly higher than they've seen in the past.
7: Fantastic. Great. Great quarter, guys. Thank you.
1: Next question is from Tim James from TD Securities. Please go ahead.
6: Oh, thanks. Just a, a quick follow-up here, maybe for Frank. I'm just wondering if you can, um, the, the total $6.5 million, I think it was in government f- forgiveness um, that came in the quarter, how how should we think about allocating that amount uh, to each of the three segments?
4: Yeah, Tim, uh, $5.5 million uh, was allocated to Engineered Products Group, and uh, nine just over 900000 is allocated to uh, our Scotland Neck facility, which is part of the uh, Rubber Solution segment. Uh, and the bulk of it, I'd say 90% of it was allocated to cost of sales. The rest was uh, SG&A for each of those in proportion. Okay, that's that's very helpful. Thank you.
1: The next question is from Maggie McDougall from Stiefel. Please go ahead.
8: Morning.
7: Morning. Good morning.
8: Just one question on my end. Um, so I, I noticed uh, some discussion around potential for M&A, and I was wondering if you could talk a bit about what multiples you're seeing for potential deals in terms of um, purchase price of EBITDA or maybe earnings, if that's more applicable. And then if there's a sort of like a, a post pre synergy multiple consideration that you're taking into account when you when you go about looking for deals. Thanks.
2: Well, <clears throat> Maggie, they're they're all over the map depending on what you know, what segment it is, and what we're looking at. I mean, we've seen some that we have uh, tried to buy that have ended up going for multiples as high as sixteen. Um, generally, rubber compounding multiples are between nine and eleven. Um obviously those are multiples that are significantly higher than we trade at so um uh, we we need to try to buy things cheaper than that or uh structure it with earnouts such as we did with uh with the b three acquisition that we made earlier uh, uh earlier this spring uh so uh you know, we have to try to buy. Uh, uh, we let's further say we can't just go out there and buy EBITDA at the multiples that things are trading at. So we have to buy. Uh, we have to try to find things which are really synergistic and which um, you know where one plus one equals three rather than uh, one plus one equals two. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but
8: sure. Um, So you're, I mean, basically you're saying that multiples are varying depending upon what kind of business it is you're considering. And then um, because of your present valuation, you do look at synergies as being quite um, valuable in terms of uh, making sense of, financial sense of the transaction.
3: Right. All right. And Maggie, one of the things that we're trying to do now, and we have been doing for the past few years, is to develop relationships with companies that we think would be complementary to our our stable of companies, uh, and build those relationships over time so that when the opportunity arises to, uh, to acquire them, we're acquiring them prior to them getting to an auction or some sort of process, which generally when private equity and other groups get involved, it starts to drive up those multiples. So we try and do a lot of that work up front, develop those relationships, make sure that within the industries and the space that we compete in, we know who the players are uh, and they understand our desire that uh, we have a vision for perhaps putting the companies together and then uh, selling them on that vision and being able to negotiate prior to some sort of auction or some sort of process. And, and we think that that's going to yield some success for us going forward as well.
8: Okay. Thanks, guys.
1: This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Chris Bitsakakis for any closing remarks.
3: Thank you, operator. And thank you again to everyone for attending this morning's call. We are proud of how we have performed this year and I want to thank our employees across the organization for this. We are excited about the future of the company going forward and we hope everyone stays safe. Until then, I hope you're all well. Thank you very much.
1: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.
0: Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com podcast. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.